It's me. Hey, welcome to South. Uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. My name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. I'm going to move this so that I don't trip. Hey, have you ever uh, been in a situation where you, you were just, you felt like you were on the outside looking in? Like maybe you just, just didn't quite fit. Um, some of you may feel like that this morning. Uh, I don't know. Welcome, uh, if you do. I, um, I can remember a situation where I felt like I am, I am an outsider here and there is nothing that I can do to fit in. It was the most awkward night of my entire life. My brother-in-law, who I wanted to support because I'm a good husband and because I love him, um, is a firefighter. And he is a decent-looking firefighter, and so he was presented with the opportunity to try out to be in the firefighter calendar. Well, I didn't know this about the calendar, um, but evidently it's a sort of big deal. And they have this night where they uh, sort of try, and not, I don't know if it's a tryout as much as it's a selection process to figure out who's going to be in the calendar. And so... Um, I was invited by my dear wife to go with she and her mom and her dad to this evening of selection. <laughs> and here's what that meant. Here's what that meant. So I, I walk in and it is instantly clear that I'm in the minority as a man. One. Now, most of the women there were, were, were middle-aged and they were pretty excited about this evening. I think it may have been on the calendar, starred, highlighted, whatever you do to make something stand out. And there's a catwalk. I walk into this room, there's chairs facing this catwalk and there's a catwalk and somehow we get placed like one row off of the catwalk. Me and all these women sitting right next to my father-in-law. The lights go down, the music starts, and they start parading these young, good-looking firefighters out with as much baby oil on a body as I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And I am so close to the action that there's hoses getting swung around, and I'm getting, like, hit with baby oil. And I'm thinking to myself, never again. Never again. And I mean, the most awkward night of my life. If there was an eject button on the chair, I think one guy in, I would have pressed it so hard. I would have gone shooting through the ceiling and been happier <laughs> than sitting there to enjoy the rest of the night. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, maybe not that way exactly. <laughs> but were you just on the outside looking in? Like, like, you just don't quite fit with a group of people in a certain area. People don't, maybe don't look the same as you. If you've traveled at all and you've gone to, to different countries where they don't speak the same language as you, you may have felt that rub a little bit. I mean, here's, a, here's a sad thing, though. I, I think a lot of people feel that way in church. Where for whatever reason, it's just, you feel a little out of place. Maybe it's maybe it's because of the, the past that you've lived and you feel like every time you get into this parking lot, you have a trailer full of history with you that you drag right behind you. Maybe it's because other people in the church don't don't dress the same way or don't talk the same way or don't hold some of the same views that you hold. I think it's 
Some of us can feel that way in church where, where it's like we're going to get found out who we really are. And somebody's going to come tap us on the shoulder and say, all right, we, we, we got you now. And if you could come with us, we'll just escort you out. And that would probably be better. Here's, here's where we're going to go this morning. And I just want to put my, my cards on the table really clearly and just straight up this morning. And this is where we're going is, is that. The gospel that we talked about last week and that we'll talk about here in just a moment creates for you and for me a platform for community to be birthed in that's unlike any other place in the world. And unlike any other place. So nobody who's here this morning, nobody who ever walks through these doors should ever feel like they're out of place or they don't feel like they're at home or they don't feel welcomed because of the way that they look or the way that they talk or the way that they act or or whatever. The gospel creates for us a platform to enter into life with each other. And this passage that we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22 is going to lay for us a a theological groundwork by which we can enter into community with each other. And it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And see, here's here's the truth of the matter. One of the markers for how well you understand the gospel is how well you interact with the people around you. One of, the, one of the markers for the way that you understand the gospel or how well you understand the gospel is by how well you welcome the people around you. Now, let me just briefly summarize last week because we're going to jump off from last week into this week. Uh, last week, Paul said, or the scriptures taught us, that we were dead and he made us alive. That we were dead in our transgressions and sins. That we were, we were the walking dead. We were the form of people, but we really, we were, we were alive, but we were simply existing. We weren't living. But God, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, loving us supremely, reached down and when we were dead made us alive with Christ. That's, that's the gospel, friends, that when we were unable, Jesus made Away that he reached down when we were dead and he made us alive. He spoke life into our dead, lifeless souls and invited us to come and to live with him all by grace. Not because we not because we earned it, not because we achieved it, not because we completed some Christian checklist. But simply because of his grace, he reaches down and rescues people like you and like me. In verse 10, at the end of uh, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, For we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's a, that word workmanship is we're, we're, the word poem, poema in the Greek. It's where his song, where his poetry created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so. He's going to jump off from that point that we are saved, that we're redeemed, and that we're called to live life differently. And this is where he goes next in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Therefore, just a quick time out. Anytime you read the word therefore in your Bible, you should ask yourself, what's it there for? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's a great question. That's a good question. If you have your own Bible, circle that word, therefore, because it connects the gospel that God, that we were dead and God made us alive, that we were hopeless and God brought us hope into where we're going next. We have to understand verses 1 through 10 and in the hopeless state that we were in if we're going to understand and have the weight that this is intended to press on us, have it press on us, we have to remember verses 1 through 10. So, therefore, remember. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh. Remember, at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without a God in the world. Now, here's what he's going to do. There's only one command in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. One command. That's it. Now, Now, that should tell us something, first of all, that God is far more concerned that we get the, the um, indicatives, the truth that he's trying to tell us. He's concerned that we understand those before we jump into the imperatives and where, the way he's trying to teach us to live, that there's an order that goes about this. So in the first three chapters, there's only one imperative. There's only one command, and it's right here in this text, and it's remember. Remember. Remember who you were. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. He's saying, listen, at one point you were the outsiders. So, so if, you're, if you're not Jewish, at one point you were the outsiders. You were on the outside looking in. You were in that room awkwardly watching what I got to watch. You were. Remember, he says again, that you were at one time separate, separated from Christ. That there was, a, there was a dividing wall up. And there was no way that you could get through it on your own. He's going to spend a lot of time in this, cha- in this part of this chapter talking about the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles, uh, they despised each other. They despised each other because Jews were sort of the the pious religious folks and they had 613 laws and they did their best to keep every single one of them. And the Gentiles were pagans. I mean, they worshipped whatever they could get their hands on in ways that would shock us today. And see, what happened in the church was this really unique, really strange blend of people coming together who had really nothing else in common. I mean, their histories were very different. In fact, they were antagonistic towards each other. They didn't like each other. They, they hated each other. They would have nothing to do with each other in the quote-unquote regular world. And then what happens is Christianity brings them together. So they're in church right next to somebody that they used to despise. And in this passage, Paul's going to deal with how does that end up working out? See, at one point, they were separate. The Gentiles were separate from Christ. They were alienated 
from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises. So they lived their their entire life up to this point outside of the invitation of God to the Jewish people. They were were on the outside looking in. Here, Here, let me just press on this for a second. I think that our memory of who we were before we knew Jesus, our memory of who we were before we knew Christ, deeply affects the way that we welcome people who are still outside of him. So if we're going to be people, if we're going to be a church that says our, our arms are open to people no matter where they're at on their spiritual journey, no matter what they've gone through, no matter what baggage they come in, we're com- we are committed to building a community of people that's, that's different. We need to remember who we were before we knew Jesus. And it says we were like a people with no hope. No hope. No confidence in what comes next after this life is over. Nothing to live for now. And, and here's the deal. People without hope are hard to be around. They're hard to be around. They, they need. They need. They need things from us. Without, it says, without a God in this world. See, we need to take time even just now, in your heart, to remember who you were before you knew Jesus. Because that memory is the soil by which the seeds of community are sown. It it softens our hearts. It, It keeps us humble, right? I mean, remembering who I was before I knew Christ makes me humble. Because here's the deal, I'm better than no one. I'm better than no one. It it creates no room for superiority or room for arrogance, thinking that that I have it all together. No, remembering who I was outside of, of God, that I was Christless, godless, and hopeless, stirs my heart to say, I'm willing to welcome whomever God should bring through these doors, whoever God should bring into my life, Not, not just in this building, but whoever I have the chance to interact with. It keeps me humble. It keeps me dependent on Jesus. Verse 13. Verse 13. But now. So so Paul's going to do it again. The scriptures are going to do it again. Uh, Last week we saw in verse 4, it says, But God, but God, being rich in mercy, abounding in love, offered us salvation. And he's going to do it again. He's painting this picture for us. It's as though he's taking this diamond and he's putting it on this black piece of velvet for us so we can just see it so clearly. At one point you were Christless, godless, and hopeless. But now, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We'll just pause there for just a moment. And here's the point that he's making. Remembering who you were allows you to fully embrace who you are. Remembering who you were allows you to fully embrace who you are. And if you cannot fully embrace who you are, there's no way that we can become the gospel community that Jesus intended for us to become. 
See, because that contrast is what really blows it up in our hearts. That we were hopeless and he brought hope. That we were Christless, saviorless, and he gave us Jesus. And see, that turns in us and that stirs in us and that creates in us. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. You who are once far off, you who are outside of the promise, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. I interact with a lot of people who, they make the statement, I, I just don't feel close to God. You ever, you ever been there? I just don't feel close to God. Well, here's what this passage says. This passage says that whether you feel it or not, if you're under the blood of Christ, you are close to God. You are close to him, that he's, he's brought you in, that he's brought you close. And so maybe it's not trying to feel close to him. Maybe it's reminding ourselves that we are close to him. It's reminding ourselves that we are close to him. He says, you've been brought near for he himself is our peace. I love the way that the book of Romans says this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, We've been made right with God based on our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus. We have peace through God. Peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. And maybe you hear nothing else this morning except that. That you have peace with God. It's this idea of relational wholeness, completeness, peace. He is for you. He's not waiting for you to screw up so he can put you back down to size. He is for you. The blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has made a way that you are now reconciled. You have peace with God. You have peace with God. And finally, he says, he's broken down the dividing wall. Not only between you and God, but also between you and each other. You see, in the temple, there was this wall that was up. There was this court that they called the court of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were only allowed to go so far. And then there was this inner court that that went through a a little door and into an area where if you were Jewish, you could hang out. And there was a sign above that entrance that said, if you're a Gentile and you enter this area, you will be killed. That's pretty intense. They're messing around. And what The scriptures are teaching us is that in the gospel, there's no longer divisions. There's no longer some people are in and some people are out, but that the blood of Jesus is enough to break down every single wall that we as humans are very good at building up. Very good at building up. Verse 15. Let me start in 14 because that's where the sentence sort of starts. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both. Okay, no, no, just a second, because this is where we're going to start to really press and where we're going to do some work this morning. Because what he's going to say is the gospel has implications not only vertically between you and God, but horizontally between you and the person sitting next to you. For us both have been 
has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two and so make peace. Now, let's just quick time out because this is great news for us this morning. Great news. He says that the gospel creates in us a new humanity, making us who were two, one. And and here's the main point that I want us to circle around for the rest of our time together this morning. And it's this, that a new gospel identity creates a new gospel community. A new gospel identity that he said, the before and after picture that, that Paul wanted us to understand before he got here creates soil, creates ground, creates a foundation for us to live in community with each other. There's a new way for us to be human, is what he says. That the things that used to divide us don't need to divide us anymore. And his main point is, and here, get this, his main point is that if we have the gospel in common, we have enough in common. If we have the gospel in common, we have enough in common. And we are professionals at creating barriers and saying, listen, we have this different. We're we're from a different socioeconomic class. We're from a, a different background. We're from different denominations. We're from different ethnicities, languages. And what Paul's going to say here is the gospel is powerful enough to create a new way to be human a new way to have community, and a new way to interact with a person sitting next to you. It's enough, is what he says. It's enough. The gospel is enough to sink our roots down into so deeply that it starts to create a new type of way to be human, a new person, a new humanity, as he talks about here. And so his point is this. If you've been brought from death to life, and the person next to you has been brought from death to life through the blood of Jesus, then that's more important than anything else you brought into this room. It's more important and it's more significant than the language that you speak, than the skin color that you have, than the class that you come from. Quick drum roll. Then then who you're going to vote for in the elections in November. (laughs) He's saying that in all the differences that we have, and let's let's be honest, we have some. The thing that we have in common is stronger than any of the differences that we hold. And the gospel, the fact that we were dead and he made us alive. The fact that we were hopeless and he brought us hope. The fact that we were saviorless and he sent a savior. He says, that, that is the most important thing about you. And it's big enough to cover any differences that you may have. And here's the beauty of it. It's, it's big enough to not only cover them, but to invite them. You see, the gospel isn't about uniformity. It's about unity. Those are very, two very different things. God is not trying to just create robots. He has, there's room for your differences. 
And in fact, isn't that one of the the beautiful things about the book of Revelation? And and we get to sort of the culmination of history with with every tribe and every tongue and every nation gathered around the throne of God. And they're not all speaking the same language and they don't all look the same. And there's there's different, but there's one God and they're all around that one throne. And it's enough. And it's enough. And his point is for us, his point is, is that. If we understand the gospel, if we understand the fact that we were dead and he made us alive, it's the most important thing about it. It's the trump card for any difference that we may have. Any difference that we may have. Look at the way that the scriptures put it in the book of Galatians. It says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, now for them to hear that, that would have been like, whoa, 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 what? I mean, that was how they defined themselves. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There's not male or female, for you are all what? One. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, if you're redeemed and the person next to you is redeemed, then you have an awful lot in common. You have an awful lot in common. I would venture to say that you have more in common with them than you have different than them. Unfortunately, I don't know how well the the church, not, not this church, but just the church in general does in embracing this. Martin Luther King Jr., before he was uh, um, killed, had said, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And of all the things that have changed over the last 40 or 50 years, praise be to God they have. I think that that's, this is still one frontier that the church has to press into and that we have to search our hearts and press into Because if we're able to say to the world around us, friends, come on, just listen for a sec. If we're able to say to the world around us that the gospel is enough to bring people together who don't have anything else in common, they will take notice. They'll take notice. And so this passage causes me, it's causing me to search my heart. Do do I just like people that like me? That's the main way to tell if you're going to like somebody. Do they like you? Right? I mean, they could be great. They could be awesome. They could be, that guy is amazing. And you could hear secondhand that he says something bad about you. And what an idiot. (laughs) See, is it strong enough in us to break down the things that would normally divide us? Verse 15, that he himself might create in himself. See, see, from a few weeks back, we are all in Christ. If, we, if our faith is in him and our hope is in him, that we are in him. So if we have trouble with people that are different than us, then we're going to have trouble with heaven. Verse 16, and he might reconcile us both. See, there's all these times in this passage where it says, us, us, both, 
This is the theme that the gospel creates. The gospel creates a new humanity that in turn creates a new community. That he might reconcile to us both, to God, in one body, through the cross, thereby killing hostility. Now, let me press on this for just a second. If there are things that you're holding against another follower of Jesus... Things that are beneath the surface. Hostility. So, so it's not enough to be just polite to each other. It's not enough to be nice to each other. The gospel pushes on us harder than that to say that there needs to be peace with other believers. The gospel is big enough for that. And I would ask you this morning, is there anyone that you need to make things right with? The impetus behind it is we have a God who made things right with us. We have a God who says, my, my blood allows you to stand right before my throne. What are you going to hold against somebody in standing before you? See, true community is not possible if we're unwilling to let things go ways that people have wronged us, things that may drive us towards bitterness. It's not possible. But luckily, in the gospel, what we have is a God who says, I want to reconcile us both to God and to each other. And to each other. See, when we understand the way that God has welcomed us and the state that we were in when he did, it allows us to say to others, You are welcome, not only here, but you're welcome in my life as well. If we share the gospel in common, we share enough in common. We share more in common that could ever divide us. All right. I'm going to fly. Verse 18. Let me get us there on the screen. We're going to... Verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, what it's going to do is the scriptures are going to start to make a point. They're going to, get, they're going to start to say, all right, there's some common ground that we stand on. If we stand on Jesus, if we, if we are convinced of the gospel, it's going to give us some common ground so that you can look at the person next to you and no matter what color their skin is, no matter what language they speak, no matter, no matter how much money they have in their bank account, then you can say to them, we have way more in common than we have different than each other. And he's going to list a bunch of things for us to really sink our teeth into that say, yes, we have way more in common than we have different than each other. For through him, we both. We both. So if you're a follower of Jesus, your access to the throne of God, your access to God is through Christ that he mediates for you on your behalf right now before the throne of God saying, Ryan is for me. I'm, I'm for him. My blood covers him. And the person next to you, he does the same thing for So one of the commonalities that you and I share and every follower of Jesus around the world shares is a common righteousness. 
his point is, how crazy would it be to have the same Jesus mediating for us both before the throne of God and us to be arguing down here? I mean, it's, it's like it'd be, it would be crazy. It just it, it wouldn't fit. There'd be something in there that we didn't believe. Verse 19. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You aren't strangers and aliens. You are citizens. We share a common citizenship. With every believer across the face of the globe, you share a common citizenship. I love the way that Paul puts it in the book of Philippians. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. I may get some emails about this and I'm okay with that. Send them away. Send them. You are, a, you are a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian before you are an American. You're a follower of Christ before you're a follower of, before you are an American. And here's the thing. I love our country. I have a lot of family members who have served in the military. I am for the United States, but I pledge my allegiance to the kingdom of God before I pledge my allegiance to the United States. And that's what he's saying. I love the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. And he says, you're a Christian first and everything else second. So you're a Christian before you're rich or before you're poor. You're a Christian before you're an American or before you're a Mexican or before you're an African or before you're Asian or before you're anything else. We're a Christian before that. We're a Christian before we're a Republican or before we're a Democrat. I've been affected by the debates a little bit. So I just, I got to thinking, man, these things really have the potential to divide us. And sort of just for free this morning, as I watched those, I became more and more convinced that the only hope for our country is Jesus. That's just maybe here nor there. We share a common citizenship. And here's the great thing about it, friends. You carry a birth certificate, not a passport, to this citizenship. You are, you are born into it, reborn into it. He goes on. We're citizens with the saints. Oh, and I don't have time this morning, but man, he's, he's calling you a saint. He's saying you're holy. You're, you're set apart. You're, you're different. You're made right. Along with the other people who profess Christ. And he says the saints, members of the household of God, we share a common family. We share a common family. Back in the first century, households sort of consisted of anybody that worked for the family, anybody that sort of lived on the grounds there, and it could have been up to a hundred people in a household. But here's what a household did for you. It provided security and protection. It provided a sense of identity and a sense of belonging. It created a way for you to play a role in something bigger than yourself. And what he says is, you've been adopted by the same father. So you're part of the same family. The person sitting next to you. 
the person worshiping in the grass hut in the middle of Africa today. It says you're part of the same household. You're part of the redeemed. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that you not only share a common righteousness, a common citizenship, a common family, but you also share a common foundation for your faith. Share a common foundation. I can remember um, traveling to um, Oaxaca, Mexico, which is sort of central, south central Mexico, where there's about 153 unreached people groups. And these are people who, many of whom, don't even speak Spanish high up in these mountains. They speak, um, we went to um, the Mixtecos, and they speak their own indigenous language. But I can remember going to one of their worship services, not understanding a word of it, going to dinner with these people and sitting around the table and knowing, knowing that we shared the same commonality because we shared the same scriptures. The same God and the same Jesus we were declaring as Lord. If you've had that experience overseas, you know sort of what that's like. See, we live in God's world, God's way by being built on his word. And if we all say that collectively together, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. Finally. Verse 22, 21 and 22 says this, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Did you catch it? We are all collectively Not just individually, but collectively part of God's plan. What this says, what this passage says, is that one of the ways that the world will know that Jesus is the Christ is by the way the church interacts with itself. We are being built together. Did you know that God's design for you is not just to grow as an individual, In fact, it's impossible for you to become all that God intended for you to become if you try to do it alone. Part of God's plan for you is to be connected with other believers. And it says, as we're connected together, we grow. As we're connected together, we grow. That's why life groups aren't going to be a fad here at South. They're not going to be a fad. You can feel free to join one. They're not not going anywhere because we believe, we're convinced from the scriptures that as we're joined together, we grow more together than we ever could grow alone. And as we grow, we develop into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a pretty big calling, friends. And praise him that he's the one who's doing the connecting and he's the one who's doing the growing and that he's the one who's doing the unifying through his spirit. 
We share a common righteousness. We share a common citizenship. We share a common family. We share a common foundation. And we share a common goal. To make much of Jesus. To make much of Jesus. And the gospel gives you the foundation to do that with whomever you come in contact with. Because you know that you have far more in common with them than you have different than them. And so I just, I want to encourage you today. We're going to transition and we're going to spend some time celebrating the Lord's table and celebrating communion together. But I just want to invite you to take some time before we do that. To in your heart, is there, is there anybody that you need to make things right with? If we're saying we believe in the gospel, if we're saying we believe that we were dead and he made us alive and that he broke down any wall of hostility between us and him, then to be consistent, friends, we need to do that with other people as well. Is there anybody that you need to make things right with? If, if there is, will you commit to doing it before you come to his table? Before you come to celebrate the death burial and resurrection that unites us commit to making things right in john chapter 17 verse 21 jesus said that the world will know you are my disciples by the way that you love each other and on the night that jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body And he took the cup too and he said, this is my blood. And in doing so, he painted a picture for us. That he was inviting us in. Making us part of the family. Making us right before him. Making us holy. He's not only done that with you, friends. He's done that with the person sitting right next to you also. And on that night, as he told his disciples about the way that he was going to give his life, he created a foundation, he created a platform for the church to be built on because they would say, there's something that unites us that's greater than anything that can divide us. And as you come, as you come to this table this morning, will you come remembering the unity that we share in his blood and the hope that we have in his resurrection and the new life that he invites us to live together. Together. Let me pray for us.